It's Living on Earth. I'm Steve Kerwood. They call it Wonderful Copenhagen, and the Danish city is now determined that on a net basis it will stop adding climate-changing gases to the atmosphere by 2025. The decision came in an August 2012 city council vote that orders a switch from coal to scrap wood and other sustainable forms of biomass for heat and power. And Copenhagen has also begun to cool its largest buildings using an offshore resource, cold seawater. Back in 2009, Living on Earth's Bruce Gellerman visited the seawater cooling facility as it was being developed with engineer Jan Hoog. So now you are really, really, this is the heart of the cooling center. This is the inlet from the seawater system. Inside here you have the pipe coming in, and then you have these six pumps circulating the seawater into the cooling center and back to the harbor, a little bit warmer. Two pipes, each nearly a yard in diameter, buried 20 feet underground, recirculate water three quarters of a mile from Copenhagen's harbor. Originally built to cool off the old power plant's generators, today the system provides cold water to the new district cooling plant. If we didn't have these pipes, we didn't have this project, because it would be so expensive for us to put in new pipes in the ground. And although that they are more than 100 years old, they look fantastic. We just have to reline them. And now we use the seawater from the harbor to cool down our chiller units and to the so-called free cooling. And what is free cooling? You produce cold water purely from the water in the harbor. That's engineer Jan Hoog with reporter Bruce Gellerman. Well, environmental journalist Justin Gerdes dug into Copenhagen's carbon-cutting campaign during a recent fellowship from the Danish Ministry of Foreign Affairs International Press Initiative and wrote it up for Yale's E360 online magazine. Justin Gerdes reports that the cooling plant is now providing air conditioning at little cost to the environment. They estimate that doing cooling in this way reduces carbon emissions by nearly 70% and electricity consumption by around uh, 80% compared to conventional uh, air conditioning. And the cooling is used largely for... Uh, For now, it's largely really big buildings, so ones where more people gather. So it it is hotels, office buildings, data centers, and right now it's mostly in the the city center, but they're going to be expanding the network uh, in future years. But they don't intend to offer it to residential customers. It's actually a very elegant solution in the sense, too, that they repurpose the same network of underground tunnels that they use for their district heating system. So this is basically sending chilled water to individual buildings via a network of pipes. So not forced air air conditioning as we would think of it, typically uh, used in the United States. Of course, when you come into Copenhagen, you see all those uh, wind turbines out there in in the harbor. They seem to have a lot of electricity in Denmark. In fact, they might even have a surplus. How does this figure into their plan? That is very much in the plans. City officials are basically acknowledging that they won't be able to eliminate carbon emissions entirely within the city boundaries by the the timeline, so by the year 2025. And that's largely because of private vehicles. They need more time to convert those vehicles to alternative fuels or um, electricity. So they're compensating for those emissions by uh, exporting surplus wind from wind turbines located both on and offshore. And they're planning to add around 100 new wind turbines uh, over the next dozen years to do that. So uh, talk to me about transportation. Uh, In reading your article, I noted that uh, you say that Copenhagen is going to build a bike superhighway. 
Yeah. So, I mean, of course, most Americans, if they've heard anything about Copenhagen, they, they know it's a, a bike city. It's one of the world's uh, best bike cities. And, you know, they've been remarkably successful. 36% of trips uh, in Copenhagen to school or, or to work are made by bike. And for residents of Copenhagen, that number is even larger. It's around half. But they realize that they need to do even more to entice residents and also, more importantly, uh, people commuting in from the suburbs to, to take bikes. And so they're investing money in uh, building up the bike infrastructure. So they're building these so-called uh, bike superhighways, and the first of them opened in April of last year, and it connects a suburb north of Copenhagen to the city center. Basically, they're very... Um, wide, smooth, better-lit bike paths that give these commuters a, a fast, easy, quick way to get into the city center and try to get, entice them out of their cars. How important are efforts by cities to reduce carbon emissions? The effort to, to slow climate change is, is really going to be won or lost in cities. You know, cities are responsible for you know, around two-thirds of both energy consumption and carbon emissions. So if we can follow the example of some of these you know, forward-thinking cities like Copenhagen, uh, ones that are already uh, you know, presenting a visionary way forward and, and can show you know, best practices, um, I think uh, you know, other cities, especially in developing countries, can learn from that example, and uh, we can start to put a, a downward trajectory on emissions. How likely do you think it is that Copenhagen is going to meet this target? I think it is very likely. Right-of-center politicians in Denmark and Copenhagen uh, are not climate change deniers. They support uh, action on climate change. Uh, They only disagree, perhaps, on uh, timelines and how much public money might go toward the effort. So, for example, the carbon neutrality plan that passed in Copenhagen in in August of 2012, it did so with support of -of right-of-center politicians. Similarly, last year in March, there was a, a national energy plan that passed in Denmark that's going to get the country off fossil fuels entirely by 2050. And it passed Parliament with the votes of 171 of 179 members, uh, near consensus, which is you know, pretty unthinkable in the context of today's uh, U.S. political climate. Dustin Gerdes is a freelance environmental journalist. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.